Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Here's a five-star review we recently received on Apple Podcasts. It reads, BTR saved my soul. For a few years, I had been searching the internet for answers to make my marriage better. Article after article placed the blame on women for not meeting the needs of her man. None of them were accurate depictions of what I was experiencing, so the advice offered was irrelevant. Over a series of events, I began to wonder if my relationship was actually toxic, and that question led to the discovery of emotional abuse and stories I read started making sense. BTR Podcasts was one such place where the stories made sense. I now listen and participate in the weekly group sessions. I'm on a path to healing by retelling my story. BTR has helped me find a name for what I was experiencing and has empowered me to take actionable steps toward rebuilding my healthy sense of self. Thank you so much for that review. I have Kristen Price on today's episode. Kristen serves as a senior legal counsel for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation Law Center. She now engages in legal advocacy to end impunity for all forms of sexual exploitation. In her role at Nicosi, Kristen works to influence courts and legislatures toward protecting human dignity and equality on behalf of sexual exploitation survivors through legislative advocacy, litigation, and providing support to other attorneys, particularly with respect to sex trafficking, prostitution, child sex abuse, and pornography. A little note about Nicosi, that is the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. It is the leading national, nonpartisan, nonsectarian organization that exposes the links between all forms of sexual exploitation, such as child sex abuse, prostitution, sex trafficking, and the public health harms of pornography. We are going to link to all of their social media and information about them in the show notes. So uh, just a note about them really quick. But welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. I met Kristen in person a while back and was so impressed with her passion for protecting victims. I want to jump right into talking about image-based sexual abuse, because this is one of your specialties. So let's start there. Can you talk to our audience about what image-based sexual abuse is? Absolutely. So yes, in general terms, image-based sexual abuse is a broad term that includes a wide range of harmful experiences involving the weaponization of 
sexually explicit or sexualized images or videos. IBSA involves creating, threatening to share, sharing, or using of recordings of sexually explicit or sexualized materials without the consent of the person in them or for exploitation purposes. So sometimes people call one form of this revenge porn, but at Nikos, we, we do try to avoid this term because it implies that the person victimized by it did something wrong to the perpetrator and that this is some kind of payback. But the reality is that men do this to women for any reason or for absolutely no reason at all. When you say men do this to women, this podcast is specifically for women who are victims of sexual exploitation perpetrated by men. And so all of our listeners are women. Well, my intent is to help women. We do have some men listeners. But when you say that, does it ever happen the other way around? It definitely happens the other way around. And also women can victimize other women. Men can victimize other men. But the victims are disproportionately women and the perpetrators are disproportionately men. And I think the figures vary somewhat, but there was a 2017 U.S. survey conducted and had 3,000 or so participants, and one in eight people had been the targets of distribution, threat of distribution of sexually graphic images of themselves you know, without their consent. And women were roughly twice as likely to have been the targets of this abuse compared to the men in that particular survey. But there was another survey by the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative. And in their survey, over 90% of the victims were women, mostly between the ages of 18 and 30 years old. So there's some variation there, of course, but that women and girls are disproportionately affected doesn't seem to really be in dispute. I agree. (laughs) People are always talking about that. And because I advocate for women, I appreciate those statistics and letting people know that this really is a women's health issue, and it's important to women, especially my listeners. Are there any recent news stories that highlight this issue? So there was one. It wasn't extremely recent, but I think it's significant because it shows the level of impunity people at least think they have when they perpetrate this. The mayor of a town in Maryland called Cambridge, maybe an hour and a half outside D.C. where I am, was arrested for perpetrating late last year and charged with, I think, 50 counts of non-consensual distribution. Much more recently, the CEO and the COO of Pornhub, or MindGeek, the company that controls Pornhub, have resigned. And, you know, this is in the wake of years and years of reporting, but especially over the last two years of how their flagship site, Pornhub, facilitates and profits from image-based sexual abuse in all of its various forms. Wow. So I want to just take a minute here to say that when Kristen says image-based sexual abuse, what I want you to be thinking in your mind is pornography, right? This is what we are talking about. Would you say that all pornography or most of it is image-based sexual abuse for our listeners who are so traumatized by their husband's pornography use? So one thing that might be helpful would be to go down the list of the different things that fall under this category. And then you realize, wow, this is a lot of what is out there um, on pornographic sites. And it's a lot of what drives traffic to these sites and the the whole industry, because it is an industry. It's a very profitable enterprise to exploit other people in this way. 
um, obviously has implications even for the people who don't end up being portrayed on the websites. So I think there's a sense in which it, it really is abusive to people in general, especially women and girls, because it's incompatible with their full equality in society. This is a way they can be portrayed with, in, with impunity, right? It has implications for everyone. But just to go down the list of the different things that fall under image-based sexual abuse, one is sextortion, which is using sexually explicit images or sexual materials that the perpetrator has to blackmail the victim or to coerce them to produce increasingly explicit content in exchange for the initial content not being released. So that's sextortion. Then this is the one I think most people think of when they hear the term image-based sexual abuse, non-consensual sharing of sexually explicit or sexualized images, which is sometimes accompanied by doxing, which is you share the content, but then you add the person's name or their address or other identifying or locating information. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause right here and say many, many women in our community have had their husbands secretly video them in the shower or while they were having sex in their bedroom or something like that. They did not know and then posted that online. And other people are watching it as quote unquote pornography, not knowing that they're actually viewing sexual abuse. So that has happened to women in our community frequently. Yeah. So that's actually the next one I was going to say, which is non-consensual collecting, swapping and posting of these types of images in groups or in third-party platforms. Um, And as you noted, it's absolutely abusive behavior. I mean, they didn't have consent even to take the image, let alone to distribute it. Non-consensual recordings of images or videos of other types of activities. So where people expect that they're they're not doing anything sexual, they expect they're in a private context, like showering in the gym or even in their home or hotel room. So restrooms or locker rooms, people will put surreptitious cameras. It's called down blousing or upskirting. Another form it takes is sexual harassment or assault in virtual or augmented reality. So sexual harassment through direct messaging or sexual assault of somebody's avatar, like in a virtual context. Sending unsolicited material, also called cyber flashing. Identity theft, where people take someone's images to make artificial Photoshop pornography intended to portray them, you know, as though they're really in it. So it's called cheap fake or deep fake pornography. And then pressuring, harassing someone to self-generate or share sexually explicit or sexualized images. So it's quite a wide variety of offenses that fall under this category. And all of it's abusive. And much of it makes its way onto massive public tube sites like Pornhub and X videos. Real quick, before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org slash group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Here's a five-star review we received on Amazon. It says, this short, to the point, illustrated book gives you a better definition of what the abuse cycle looks like and helps validate the trauma you may be suffering as a result from it. Trauma Mama Husband Drama guides you to additional helpful resources such as podcasts, the BTR podcast, this one, 
websites, btr.org, and support groups as to further assist you in your road to recovery and safety. Thank you, BTR, for putting into words and being our voice for the ones that are unable to articulate what is happening, yet alone comprehend the hurt and pain we are experiencing. Thank you so much for that review. And now back to our discussion. I would say the average porn user has no idea that what they're watching is absolutely abusive. And in fact, when you educate them about it, they dismiss it. They're like, whatever. I mean, at least in in our experience, the listeners of this podcast, you're hurting our family, you're hurting our marriage, you're also just flat out watching abuse, you know, and it's just like, no, that's not how it is. Do you think that people who say that are reading the tags for the material they're watching? Because sometimes it'll say something like it'll be tagged as spy cam or locker room or something like that. There will be clear indications that it's not con- consensual. I'm not saying that that's right. always the case, but that's a thing that X videos at least does to drive traffic. They categorize things. Yeah. I think people don't want to admit that that's abuse. What, I, what I'm saying is they're like, yeah, it's a spy cam, but she doesn't know and she doesn't even know it's online. So why is it hurting her or something like that? They don't realize that it's abusive. One thing that I have learned about abusers is they do not know or want to admit that they are abusive. They don't want to call it abuse. They want to call it anything else because they want to be able to continue to justify their behavior. This stuff is out there and it's just called spy cam. It's not called abusive spy cam material, right? It's called spy cam material. So there's just this disconnect. In fact, I was talking, this was really fascinating, with a a convicted sex offender. And I was telling him that it was abusive. And he was like, wow. He was like, his mind was blown. And he never had thought of himself as an abuser, even though he was a convicted sex offender. Wow. How prevalent in just average pornography, like people thinking, oh, I'm just quote unquote watching pornography. How prevalent is image-based sexual abuse, IBSA, and who is the most affected by it? So there is a sense in which it's kind of impossible to know how much, like what percentage of pornography falls under this, which is one of the big dangers because you know maybe something will be tagged in a certain way but it's not necessarily going to be apparent on the face of it that someone is watching abusive content but once you put together the fact that this includes child sexual abuse material which is rife on the internet on public websites like twitter and white pornhub when you say child sex abuse material that is commonly referred to for for our listeners who don't know as child pornography and i really appreciate that nikosi and a lot of advocates trying to change that language to stop saying child pornography and start using child sex abuse material because that is what it is. So sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to make that clear. No, thanks for saying that. I had meant to include that and and it is still called child pornography in the law in most places. So so that's that's an important distinction. But it includes that, includes child sexual abuse material or CCM as it's often abbreviated, includes advertisements for people who are being sex trafficked for prostitution. It includes extremely violent and dangerous content, which is pretty obviously harmful, regardless of whether it was consented to. And it includes the type of spy cam 
and other types of surreptitious recording or non-consensually distributed content. So all of that is abusive. All of that is exploitive. Most of it is illegal in many jurisdictions. And much of what seems to drive the traffic to some of these sites is this type of content. There is a subreddit on Reddit. I think it's called WifePick, and it has 250,000 members. So I think there's a sense in which it's really impossible to say how much of it is abusive, but the abuse is so prevalent and so rampant, it's a massive risk that anyone who decides to consume pornography is really choosing to take, that they're going to be consuming somebody else's abuse. Mm-hmm. Well, and we take the stance at BTR, and I'm okay with it, and people disagree with me, and I don't really care, that all pornography is abusive, period. It's abusive to someone, some way, somehow. Someone's being coerced. Someone's being lied to. Someone's being manipulated. Someone is being harmed. It is abusive regardless. So that is our stance. So when you're talking specifically about image-based sexual abuse, I think you're also specifically talking about things that are criminal, right? Things that they could actually be arrested for. Yeah. Yes. Or at least sued for in some cases. With our listeners, some of the things that the abuse that they're experiencing, the emotional and psychological abuse is not a quote unquote crime. And so they have a very difficult time figuring out how to get help and get out. But it is good for them to know that anyone consuming this type of material is going to have some level of danger to you, I think, or or producing it. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's no pornography in which a human being is not objectified. Like That's always present. And so much of it is extremely violent and degrading, especially to women. And I think that it really... And to your point about it being broadly abusive and harmful, I think it really shifts the norms and expectations for all women. It's like basically a form of propaganda. It conditions women to submit to violence rather than to resist it, you know, among other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were talking about how prevalent it is. Who was most affected by it? Women and girls are most affected by it. Yeah, disproportionately so, especially especially younger women and girls. Yeah. When, when I ask that question, who's most affected by it, the interesting answer here at BTR is different than maybe what it would be at Nicosi. Because here at BTR, we're like the wives, <laughs> the wives of these men, right? So Nicosi thinks like the women in the pornography or the women who are being filmed. And even if the wives aren't the ones being filmed, we have been and are continued to be affected by our husband's abuse due to his porn use. When we're thinking about the victims related to image-based sexual abuse and these degrading acts being visible to other people, where are these things generally posted? They're posted anywhere you can post things. General pornography tube sites like Pornhub and Xvideos, Twitter, Reddit, especially subreddits, Etsy, Google will index searches for this type of content. I mean, it really is everywhere. There's some sites that are specifically devoted to sharing non-consensually distributed content, really all over chat groups, texts. It's alarming to think about everywhere. It really is. Apps, right? Any Anywhere you can apps. find anything, you can find it. So our listeners are really familiar that this is abuse, but I would say that the general public is not. When you're trying to explain to people like why this is abusive, what arguments have you found to be useful? So thinking about 
how it works as a tactic and also thinking about the impact. I think make it pretty clear that that's the right category for it. Kind of taking the standard definition of abuse, it's typically a set of tactics, usually systematic or calculated, that one person uses to gain and maintain coercive control over another person. And it can be physical, sexual, emotional, financial, spiritual. And image-based sexual abuse really fits squarely within that. It's ultimately about maintaining coercive control over another person. Men have posted things because women wouldn't go out with them or because they broke up with them. And when we look at what effect it has on the people that it's done to, that also very much tracks with what we understand abuse to be. That's really interesting that coercive control is the main theme, right? Because when it comes to the wives of these porn users, they're doing the same thing, but it's in a different way. So they're using coercive control to manipulate, to lie, to gaslight in order to hide their porn use. So they're lying to them about their whereabouts. They're lying to them about their use of time or why they're angry about something, or they're trying to gaslight in order to make sure their wife doesn't know the types of things they've been doing because they want their wife to live in a different reality. Mm. The reality is he is an abusive porn user and he's abusing his wife, but he wants his wife to think that he's a good guy, that he's a churchgoer, that he's an upstanding member of society. And so it's that same coercive control to maintain the narrative. I'm a good guy. I'm a good husband. You wife, you've got some problems. And if you would, cook better, or if you would be more respectful of me, or if you would appreciate my job more, then maybe our marriage would be good, right? So that gaslighting thing happens all the time. And it's it's the same exact thing. And that is why I really want to hit home to the porn addiction recovery community or other communities that these men are abusers, right? They're not just porn users. They are abusive to their wives. And it's really, really important for people to understand that. When we're talking about a specific type of trauma to the women who are being filmed, why is it so important to recognize that this is trauma and it's actually being documented by people and then being posted? Yes, I think it's exactly what you just said. It's trauma and it's posted. If I were to sum it up, I would say probably for the three reasons that it's a really prevalent form of trauma going back to the statistics from earlier, it's extremely destructive and it's usually committed with impunity. Impunity just means that you're getting away with it. You're getting away with the thing in a way that is so clear and obvious you have no reason to stop doing it. And other people who watch what's happening have no reason not to do the same thing themselves. Oh, this is happening in people's families too. It's amazing the parallels between the two. With the impunity with the divorce or they're still getting child custody or, you know, all these other things. It's the same. Yeah. Some of the ways that the trauma manifests for the people that are depicted includes high levels of anxiety, PTSD, depression, feelings of shame and humiliation, loss of trust and sexual agency. The risk of suicide is very, very high. I think some 51% of people responding to one survey said that they had contemplated suicide as a result of their experience with image-based sexual abuse. It's also important to note that this is a form of abuse that never really ends. It can always be reshared or re-uploaded by someone else, and so it may never fully go away. It's an abusive situation. A person may never be able to fully exit. And we've 
had survivors share with us, they've completely lost their reputations, they've lost jobs or had to leave jobs because of the level of sexual harassment directed at them when people realized it was them in the videos. They're constantly anxious in social situations, wondering if someone has seen the content. They've had family and other relationships destroyed because of this. So it it really manifests like other forms of sexual trauma. We're going to pause the conversation right here, but stay tuned for next week. Kristen will be back and we'll continue talking about pornography as a form of sexual abuse and why it's important to know this when you're in a relationship with a pornography user. So please stay tuned for next week. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there. 